0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy.
1: Well, hello, Cove Church. I hope you're doing well. I'm so glad to be with you today. And I am so excited for the teaching time today because I get to share it with not one, but two of my favorite people Uh, But before I introduce them, allow me to speak to what they represent at our church. Among the challenges that are facing the the Big C Church of Christ uh, in these days is to raise up leaders who will continue to bring God's grace to the world. So this idea of leadership development becomes a critical question for every church to grapple with now, for some that that's going to mean going to like a four-year college or to seminary, which can be great for some people, but it can also, in a lot of cases, add a lot of debt to the lives of those going into a field that traditionally you don't make a lot of money at, uh, and so that can be a problem. And so the church has to look for additional ways to develop leaders who can move God's mission forward. And at our church, we have embraced something called Discover Ministry School, which is a small group-based leadership development course that over three years can get people much more equipped for the work of ministry. It does so without prohibitive costs or with having to uproot families or move like you would for a college. And one of the parts that perhaps brings the most value to that three-year process is what we call here a pastoral residency. It's nine months to a year of intentional ministry leadership training and experience. They are paid residents, and they're paid through a grant from the movement of churches that we're a part of, Pacific Region Open Bible. And so that grant has allowed us to offer that role to our first two pastoral residents, both who have navigated and are navigating Discover Ministry School, and more than that, continue to show a passion for Jesus and a love for people and a heart to serve. They are also both named Eric, by the way, which we have decided is is an essential part of this program. So if you're not named Eric, you really can't apply in the future. That's what we plan. (laughs) No, my, my real hope is that as the men and women of our church hear from our pastoral residents and see them express God's calling in their lives, that it would perhaps inspire you to a similar journey, to maybe look at Discover Ministry School and our residency program as a potential next step. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Eric Morris and Eric Hellebrand. Here they are right now. And uh, I I think to start the conversation, Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, are few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers. Key understanding for us is this. God's church does not have a harvest problem. God's church has a worker problem. And God wants to remedy that problem, which means we as a church get to trust Jesus to guide us in how to raise up and release leaders of today and also the leaders of the future. And part of that awareness that Jesus is bringing to us is this, that many of the leaders that God will use in our church will be raised up from within our church. These are the harvest workers. And I include the two people that you will hear from today as an example of some of the best and first fruits of that harvest. So the three of us today are going to preach a message together that is all about leadership, especially the idea of leading in the wilderness. And before you tune out and say, well, I'm, I'm not really a leader, this doesn't apply to me, let me say this to you. Every person alive has some leadership platform. Uh, For some, it's a role at work. Maybe it's a role in your family or in a club, or it's a voice you have with a friend or a neighbor. But at the very minimum, each of us has to lead ourselves. And doing so is difficult, especially in the days we live, because our world is very much a wilderness to navigate. So the principles we engage in today will apply to each and every one of us. And my hope is that our discussion will make us ask Jesus this question. Jesus, where are you calling me to lead? And how do you want me to do so in a way that reflects your best? So, the first truth we look at today regarding leading in the wilderness will be brought by our own Eric
0: Morris. Here it comes. Go get him. All right. (laughs) All right. Low Cove Church, so fantastic to be here. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Uh, As he mentioned, my name is Eric Morris, pastoral resident, Um, also known around these parts as Eric number two. Um, (laughs) And even though we are not related, uh, Pastor Aaron's older looking younger brother. Um, But our first point today is leading in the wilderness requires a reliance on God's power. Let's read this passage together. Big voices, go. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Now this must have been an awesome and powerful sight Uh, the cloud that had been leading them, uh, suddenly the Lord appeared in the cloud. Um, I don't know if that's something that you can imagine, but I've done quite a bit of guessing what clouds look like, and not once have I thought a cloud looks anything like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe uh, uh, an elephant or an occasional moose or something like that, but but never Jesus. Nehemiah 9.12 says, By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night, with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. So, in this passage, we join the children of Israel just six weeks into their wilderness journey. The 10 plagues, the first Passover, the deliverance out of Egypt, and the parting of the Red Sea are all behind them. Yet now, here in the wilderness, new fears and doubts arise. And the people of the Lord grumble at their spiritual leaders. So a show of hands at home, are you a grumbler? Are you a complainer? Uh, you may need to pause and reflect on that question later today. But these people were hangry. You know how it is when you don't eat all day, you're walking the aisles at Winco with your kids. You know, you're hangry, you're grumbling. There's no doubt about it. We've all experienced that. But regardless of the complaints, God uses his mighty power to bless them each and every day with what they needed. So I ask you, Cove Church, on whom are you depending for that provision? From the very beginning of time, God has posed that question to every person who has ever lived. Do you rely on God for your spiritual, physical and mental needs? Are you attempting to do it on your own? Uh, Any fans of the office? (laughs) I know I am. Um, My wife Andrea, Andrea reminded me of a time when Michael Scott, regional manager, Dunder Mifflin, decides he's gonna go out in the vast Pennsylvania wilderness on his own with nothing but a roll of duct tape and a knife. And he's gonna show his coworkers that he can do it all by himself. That's not what happened. That's not the case. He ends up fashioning his pants into a hat and complains of starving after just being out there for three hours. Now, I can relate to that, and I'm sure a few of you can as well. And I could tell you story after story of how I personally have messed up. Actually, my wife would love to tell you those stories about my unsuccessful handyman work, which mostly involves uh, large amounts of spray foam and Language I don't use anymore, unfortunately. So (laughs) have you ever tried to fix a toilet with a hammer? I have. I have tried. Have you ever tried to put out a high voltage electrical fire with water? I have as well. And I believe in my mind that I did save our fence, even though the firefighters were not happy with my help. But we have to remember that we can't do it on our own. We're not equipped to do it alone. We must look to God in his infinite wisdom and power to lead us and he will protect us without our need to worry. There's a saying that goes, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, but it doesn't get us anywhere. I know it's silly, but it, it makes sense. We are to demonstrate our trust in God's power through our obedience to him. True trust is believing in God so deeply that we do what God tells us to do and not what we want to do. Doing things our own way produces short-lived results, leaving us unfulfilled. Doing things God's way results in a much deeper satisfaction. We cannot rely on our own power to survive. We have to remember, leading in the wilderness requires a reliance on God's power.
2: Hello Cove Church, Um, just like the man before me, my name is also Eric, and I also have the blessing of being a pastoral resident here as well. And I get to talk about the second point in the message today. Leading in the wilderness requires a trust of God's provision. Continuing with Exodus 16, 13 through 18, everybody together, big voices go. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one that gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So now we have a lesson for the grumblers. You can trust God to provide. To back up a little, let's look at verse 12. By the time we get there, it seems as if the Israelites had taken a step in the wrong direction. Exodus is about the God who makes himself known. They asked, who is this God? Then they came to the point of saying, Who, O Lord, is like you? They started to see, but now they've grown a little hard of hearing. Now this is different from a groan or a humble cry. I hurt, I'm in pain. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a rebellion against God. Not that the situation is hard, but that God is hard. This God, I I may say that I believe him, sing songs about him, read a Bible about him, but I don't really believe that he's big enough to do anything about it or good enough to care about me. So I grumble. It dishonors God. Think of how patient God is. After all that he's done with the plagues, the Red Sea, you'd think he would just say, that's it, all right, I'm turning this chariot around, we're going back home. (laughs) We get to verse 13 and 14 though, God showed up again as promised. They needed to learn again and again who this God was. They grumble. He responds with grace. You're thirsty, I'm going to give you water. You're hungry, I'm going to give you the birds that fall like dust for one night. They're going to cover the ground. I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. I'll rain down bread for you. Sweet bread like honey. I'm giving you donuts every morning for 40 years. What's your problem? Okay, now let's look at verse 15. They asked, what is it? And they get to collect an omer. What's an omer? If you're like me, read that, you know, clearly it's a unit of measure. But actually, it's, it's a little more than a two liter. So picture your two liter of Pepsi, Coke, Team Pepsi, which is what they had to fill each day. So picture your, your two liters of Pepsi, of Coke, whatever it is but they filled that each day. Each person had an omer of this honey-like, seed like miraculous provision, and they got twice as much on the sixth day of the Sabbath. This is a miraculous provision. There is at least eight evidence of this miraculous here. The manna did not appear until Moses said it would. It was not interrupted by the weather for 40 years. There was enough to feed millions of people every day. There was twice as much on the sixth day. It spoiled if you tried to keep it, the other nations did not have it. Once the Israelites got to the edge of Canaan, it stopped. The portion in a special vessel before the Lord did not rot. It takes trust, especially for an agriculture people. They're farmers. They're thinking, we've got to store up. We don't know what the next day is gonna bring. Now, as someone who works three jobs, I can somewhat relate. To be fully transparent, I very often struggle with trusting God with my finances, worries of what the future will bring. And and that's where they are. You don't just live day to day in their world. You want to store something up for those lean seasons. I mean, that's the better part of wisdom, right? It's kind of the opposite of what he told Joseph in Genesis when there was a famine in Egypt, but not here. When the Lord is is proving, testing, shaping them, they need to trust. It's easy for us to live day by day, right? You know, with us, we know that all we have to do is drive over to Fred Meyer, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, whatever your place may be, but we have options. But they needed to trust without any food in their sacks. They must trust there will be more manna from heaven tomorrow morning when they get up. Mm -hmm. Will you obey both commands that make perfect sense to you and the commands that don't, the commands you fear? Do you think Jesus had manna on his mind when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount? When you pray, here's what I want you to pray. Give us, our day. Give us this day our daily bread. Not our weekly bread, our monthly allotment, enough for the year. No, but for today. Or how about when he said, don't worry about tomorrow, saying, what shall we eat? He's got manna on his mind, just like in the wilderness. Just when you're anxious about tomorrow, he'll say, don't worry about tomorrow. You'll get more bread then. We don't really believe that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies are new every morning if we demand a blueprint of his grace ahead of time. God, I want to see next week of graces for me, please. I want to see tomorrow's mercy today if I could. I mean, the man was cool the last 20 years, I get it, but what about tomorrow? God says, you don't get it. Walk by faith, not by sight. What is worry and anxiety except living out the future before it gets here? Going ahead to tomorrow, weeks from now, months from now, 10 years from now, what is my family going to look like? What are my kids going to be like? Am I going to get married? How this illness is going to work out. And what the diagnosis might say is trying to borrow mercies that God hasn't meant to give you yet. He's giving you bread and mercy every day. When you get to tomorrow or a year from now, whatever trials or surprises are there, he'll give you more matter for that day. So I asked, just as Eric did, on whom are you depending for that provision? What's your manna? What wilderness are you talking or walking through that you aren't trusting God with? Mm -hmm. I have a dear friend, Pastor Erin, has actually spoken on this before. She grew up on a farm. When she was a little girl, she and her family were woken up in the night with the barn burning down. Her father looked at her and simply said, Jesus will provide. <laughs> and then he went to bed and he fell asleep. I mean, this is his livelihood. The barn is, is burning down. Yet his trust was so great, he was able to just go fall asleep. The unknowns are overwhelming, but provisions lead to the provider. Can you trust and provide? Yes, you can. Because leading in the wilderness requires a trust of God's provision. Thank you.
1: Good job. Thanks. Well, thanks, both Erics, for those two points. Uh, allow me to wrap us up with this third point that leading in the wilderness requires a recognition of God's process. Uh, let's finish out the passage Exodus 16, verses 19 to 20. Let's read it. Big voices go. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So as has been mentioned, God brings manna for bread in the morning. Also brought quail at night. So manna, the, the word literally means, what is it? <laughs> but it was their bread. But but think about this. God doesn't just bring any food to the wilderness. God brings chicken and waffles to the wilderness. I mean, that is a really good God, right? Folks saying that that we've got nothing out here in the wilderness and then they discover that in God they have everything. It's true for them and it's true for us. This is an awesome, incredible, amazing display of provision, but it's also a test. God gives them the guidelines, gives them the rules. Don't gather man on the seventh day because I want you to rest. Rest is to be a part of what defines our relationship and your existence. Gather twice as much then on the sixth day. Make your bread, save it for the seventh day. That stuff won't go bad. God was equipping them to rest. Why? Because of this. Leading in the wilderness requires resting in God. Rest is the key to success in leading ourselves and in leading others. God wants to equip us to rest because to rest is to trust. Uh, Think of, of the vulnerability of rest, right? When you're sleeping, that is a lot of trust when you're sleeping. That is a lot of trust in my wife when I'm sleeping. She could take me out at any time. She could do it with a pillow. She could do it with a chainsaw. Lots of options for her, and she has probably wanted to a time or two. And so you are no more trusting regarding those near you than when you are asleep, when you are at complete rest. That is why God calls us to rest in him. That's why God calls us to stop, because it is an expression of trust in our creator. God called these folks to that process, learning how to do that. But sadly, some folks were convinced that they were better man and managers than God. They said, we'll do it our way. Some said, let's save a bit on the side. It makes sense, a a little more for us, a little rainy day fund, a little rainy day bread. But they wake up and it's rotten and it's stinky and it's wormy manna. So what was God doing? God was making trust their only option. And sometimes God will do the same with us. (laughs) Sometimes if we don't choose to walk in trust, God will choose the path of trust for us. (laughs) Because trust is the basis of any relationship, right? And God longs for relationship with us. We get to trust God's wisdom above our own. This is the process known as the trust test. If I say to God, I trust you as my provider, then two things will be true. First, my doing will be the evidence of that trust, but also my resting will be the evidence of that trust. It will be both. We will see trust in both. God wants us to experience more of him. And that happens in part when we trust God in ways that we haven't yet. And one of the practical expressions of that trust is learning to rest, learning to Sabbath, to reject the striving and frantic and chaotic ways so normalized by our culture. Because when I rest, I'm trusting that even though I'm not doing it, God is still doing. And it will be done better. For those in this story, the process was moving them from trusting in a manna jar under their bed to trusting the word of God in the cloud. For us, the process will be very similar. Moving from what I can do to what only God can do. From what I know to what God knows. In the start of this passage, God says, I'm using this to test them. So they will see that I am the Lord. As Christ followers, we get to live the same way, even when it stretches us, even when it challenges us because of this. God's process of trust will always include laying down my ways in order to lean on God's higher ways. If I really believe that God wants my best, then why should I be afraid to do what God says? I mean, that's the test that God wants us to pass. Because whenever we shift our trust from what God says to what we say, it eventually turns rotten, just like the manna did. Leading in the wilderness requires a recognition of God's process. I'll wrap up with this. I once bought a desk to be assembled Uh, I love it when Avengers assemble. I don't like it when I assemble anything. And uh, it came, this desk, with directions, but I figured I could just do it freestyle, right? I mean, how hard could it be? It's just a desk after all. And after hours of work, the drawers wouldn't open, the desk was slanted, and I was left with a bunch of parts that I didn't use. Frustrated, I had to actually go back to the directions and start all over. Finally, I completed it, but I was exhausted by so much unnecessary pain, so much undoing and then redoing. And the lesson for me was this. It wasn't until I was willing to be led that I was able to lead myself successfully. That will always be the case as we follow Christ. The most important principle of leadership in the kingdom of Christ is a willingness to completely follow the person of Christ. Jesus never called us to great leadership. Jesus called us to great followership. Now, out of that following, leadership will take place. But kingdom leadership will always operate with a complete reliance on God's power, on God's provision, and on God's process. The test is always, will I follow Christ, not myself? Will I love others more than myself? Will I lay down my life? If I am ever to lead well, I must first learn to follow well. And if there is something that encourages me greatly in these two pastoral residents right here and in the hearts of of so many in our midst is that they are examples of living first to follow Christ and to trust Christ and trust in Christ to show them how to lead. Yes, it is a wilderness out there. But our path through is reliant on one simple truth. Will we follow the one who knows the way?
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, CoveChurchPNW.com, or on all social media platforms at CoveChurchPNW. We'll see you next time.